Hi, I'm Linda Eads from Ford Asset Management, and this is the Global Markets in a Nutshell for July 2022. In this podcast, we talk about what's happened in the economy and the markets over the past month, and also discuss in broad terms how we see things playing out and how we are positioned as a result. Let's start with what happened in the global markets. Between the start of the year and the 16th of June, the S&P 500 was down 23%, and the NASDAQ was down 32%. Since then, though, the markets clawed back some of those losses, but nonetheless, the S&P 500 is still down 13% year-to-date, and the NASDAQ is down over 20%. So the S&P would still need to rise by 15%, and the NASDAQ by 30% just to break even for the year-to-date. This is a good reminder that if you can hold your ground in these kind of markets, you're actually better off than trying to perfectly time getting back into the market to try and catch short-term rallies. In contrast to the mood in the markets, from an economic perspective, we saw further bad news in July, with US inflation rising 9.1% from a year earlier and the Fed raising rates by another 75 basis points for the second month in a row. Now, the last time in the U.S. market that we saw inflation at such high levels, Ronald Reagan was president. So it was the early 80s. It's been a really long time, and it follows that we're talking about something that a whole generation of Americans and Europeans and Brits haven't experienced or had to factor into their lives as consumers, and equally a generation of professional investors globally who haven't had to manage money and make investment decisions with this kind of economic backdrop. The debate at the moment is just how entrenched high inflation will ultimately prove to be, and the market is clearly betting on inflation coming back down to low levels, and therefore rates not having to be hiked by as much as originally expected, the Fed recognizing this, and thereby avoiding a prolonged recession. So if this rally is going to be sustained, the market has to be right about inflation, and about a shallow or mild recession, or even potentially no recession at all, next year. Now that seems like a very optimistic assumption, given the challenges and the complexities that we're seeing in the system. The yield curve, though, is telling a different story. The 10-year, 2-year curve has inverted, and that means that the yields on the 2-year Treasury bonds are now higher than the yields on the 10-year Treasury bonds. And of course, this isn't normal. You should actually earn more yields for lending money for a longer period of time. But this does usually predict an economic recession because higher short-term rates, so high that they're actually higher than further along the curve, mean that the Fed is artificially raising short-term rates to grind the economy's gears. And if you grind them long and hard enough, then a recession will likely occur, if, of course, history is any guide. And by one commonly used definition, the U.S. is in a recession. They saw two consecutive quarters of shrinking economic growth in the first two quarters of the year. Although it's not the official definition of a recession as defined by the U.S.'s National Bureau of Economic Research, which includes a far broader range of measures, and the U.S. labor market is one area which seems to be holding up pretty well so far. Unfortunately, economic data is a bit like those images that were in the news recently taken by NASA's new James Webb Space Telescope. We're only seeing now the light of galaxies that are actually no longer there. So similarly, there's a bit of a lag between the data and what's actually happening right now. 
Although admittedly, at least the lag is a little less than 13.5 billion years, which is the case for the James Webb Telescope. But if anything, markets aren't looking backwards at all. Instead, they're already looking forwards through all the negative data that we're seeing. Or maybe they are actually looking backwards, thinking that we're still in an environment of extraordinarily low interest rates and very high growth. Well, that was a very exceptional market environment, and I'm afraid we're not. I think it's also interesting that the stock markets rallied so much given Powell only mentioned that a slowdown in hikes would be appropriate at some point, which is not saying terribly much at all if you think about it. I mean, it goes without saying that a slowdown in hikes would be appropriate at some point, but they gave no real hint of when that would be. So the market's rally was very much a case of don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And you can see this kind of optimism also extended to some of the reactions we saw to company results that came out during the past month, particularly for some of the US tech companies where results were not great, but they weren't as bad as expected. So the market actually rallied. So it could have been worse seemed to be very much the theme of the month. And that's exactly the point for us. It definitely could be worse. So we need to protect portfolios from what that actually might mean. If you look at the PE for the S&P 500, it's at a one-year forward PE of just above 18 times. That's still at the very high end of the long-term range, which is between 14 and 19 times. So the pullback that we've seen in prices year-to-date really only reflects the impact of the rise in interest rates that we've already seen. So the price the market is willing to pay for future earnings is much lower today because if you discount all of those future earnings from the future back to the present at a much higher rate than before, you will get a lower present value. But it still remains to be seen how the earnings themselves will fare over the next year or two, given how much pressure is in the system and the knock-on effect of all of this on the consumer and on businesses. We've come out of an era where profit margins were at all-time highs, so it's more than likely we'll continue to see these roll over. And the combination of slowing growth, rising costs of capital, rising cost pressures could all lead to not only lower multiples, but also to lower margins and lower earnings. So more than ever, active managers are going to have to be very selective with regards to where they are invested. Another pressure on the system has been the strong dollar. The Fed is currently very much focused on taming inflation, and its weapon of choice is interest rates. Higher interest rates draw in investments, especially from outside of the US, and of course this has boosted demand for the dollar. So we saw the greenback surge to its highest level in 20 years, reaching parity with the euro, but this does take a toll on businesses with global operations. The strong dollar has wiped billions of dollars off the second quarter sales of US companies, which has prompted many of them to cut their guidance for the remainder of the year. Big tech is particularly exposed to the dollar given the industry's overseas footprint. Goldman Sachs estimated that 59% of sales for tech companies in the S&P are generated outside of the US. And that's a lot higher than the S&P 500 as a whole, but even they earned 29% of their $14 trillion of revenues in 2021 outside of the US. 
A stronger dollar usually goes hand in hand with weaker commodity prices, and we've definitely seen commodity prices pulling back quite a bit. And this could also create more challenges for countries dealing with both inflationary pressure and weaker currencies. As long-term investors, we need to step back a bit and think about the bigger picture. And I think that's something Ford has been quite good at historically, uh, looking at the long-term changes in the drivers of inflation, interest rates, earnings, and deciding what this means with regards to how we actually invest. Why is this happening? Where is the opportunity in this? Does this pose any risks to our investors' capital that need to be avoided? And that view is path-dependent. It does also depend on how things play out. So we're constantly thinking about how the global financial system works, how money flows into markets as a result of all of these things, and then taking a view on how things will play out. We also constantly think about what we might be wrong about and making changes if we need to. But it's particularly important not to make any knee-jerk decisions, especially when we see markets flip-flopping as they have done so much over the past few months. So we construct portfolios with an absolute return mindset, first and foremost. And to do this, sometimes we need to be prepared to be positioned quite differently to the market. At this stage, we'd be very cautious about assuming that we're off to the races again. There are a lot of abnormalities in the market, all of which have been driven by stimulus that is very fast being withdrawn from the system. But there are also quite a few pockets of value which have opened up as a result. And so that's a good thing. As active managers, we actually get excited about prices coming down as it gives the opportunity to generate better real returns going forward. We've taken advantage of rising yields, so we do hold some shorter dated bonds, but we still prefer equities over most other asset classes. We still believe that equities are the best way to generate real returns and to actually protect against inflation. But we're very careful about what type of equity exposure we have, and we do have some hedges against geopolitical risk in the form of precious metals and gold. We prefer equities that have pricing power and businesses that are capital light, so have little gearing. Uh, we continue to have a relatively low allocation to the most expensive parts of the US market, and we're excited about opportunities in areas such as communication services and technology outside of the US. In particular, select companies in China, despite being saddled with operating in an economy running far below capacity due to COVID restrictions, are trading at valuations far less than their intrinsic value, and they offer significant upside as a result. We also have some exposure to businesses in the material sector across our portfolios, and this includes participants in agricultural commodity value chains, precious metal streaming businesses, oil and gas suppliers, and copper and lithium mines. Importantly, these investments are rooted in strong bottom-up fundamentals for each of the underlying businesses, so they're not dependent on the commodity cycle remaining in upswing. We're still concerned about the risk of the most expensive businesses that dominate the S&P, given their sensitivity to US long bond yields. So we continue to protect capital against downside risk using a short S&P futures position. This is a very cost-effective way of protecting capital, and it's also very easy to unwind as we see those risks reduce. We have exposure to assets that we believe are priced to give us real returns over time, but we're very careful about steering clear of those stocks where we are concerned about potential downside risks. So we're using our top-down and bottom-up process to carefully ensure that we tick both boxes. 
firstly to deliver real returns over time, but importantly to do so without exposing our investors to the risk of permanent capital losses. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Ford Asset Management. This podcast has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Ford Asset Management is licensed with the Monetary Authority of Singapore.